Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Hey, this is Frank Friedman, and I want to welcome you today to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. It's a joy to have you with us. I'm here with my friend, John Russin. And we are going to have a great time today. Yes. Uh, hello there, dear friends. We are doing something a little bit different today. And so we trust you'll walk with us and have a good time. You know, John, you and I both largely function as teachers. And as teachers, it's the lecture. And then everybody has to go out and walk in the lab of life. And the lab is so important because the lab proves whether the lecture is true. And so one of the things that I have shared over the years is that there is power in story. Story is telling people, I've lived this thing. And just as God promised, he has been faithful to provide me the strength to be able to do all things in a fallen world, that I've been able to walk through those valleys, climb those mountains, and God is faithful. And so what I thought we'd do is take today and very likely next week as well to share your story and maybe ask you some questions about your story. And you just have the freedom to be as uh, honest, vulnerable, or as scared and hide as much as you want to. <laughs> okay, it's going to be fun. So you're going to ask me some questions? Yes, sir. I am ready, All trusting right. the spirit to, to speak life through me. And you know, you could function like a politician and just say no comment. So you're welcome to do that. All right. Though we know our past, John does not identify us. We know from the Bible that our identity is found in our birth, not in our behavior, not in the behavior of others that was done to us. So our past doesn't identify us, but it certainly does shape our thought processes and our emotional health. So share with us, if you would, today, a brief understanding of your developmental years, what it was like in terms of your own journey growing up and how you believe it shaped you, those circumstances of life shaped you as you entered adulthood? Well, Frank, I was born in 1954. So for our listeners, you can do the math. Yes, I am too old to be carted at the grocery store checkout. But it was an interesting time growing up. I mean, looking back now as an adult, it's interesting. Back then, it was rather traumatic. Hmm. My mother divorced my father when I was, I think, four years old. So that would have been back in 1958, 1959, when basically no one was divorced. I was the only divorced 
family kid I knew. Everybody had a father except for me. And my favorite TV shows at the time were Leave it to Beaver and Father Knows Best. Why? Obvious. Because there was an intact home with a loving mother and a wise father, and I had none of that. Mm. Another thing that was absent from my growing up as a very young child was money. We grew up very, very poor. And that was something that my mother uh, was very ashamed of as an adult. So she taught me a couple of things that really were influential in shaping my flesh. She taught me shame because we were different. We didn't own a house. We rented an apartment in a shabby old place where after we moved out, it was demolished. It was so shabby. Hmm. And so shame was part of my upbringing from the beginning. And then fear. Now, my mother, she taught me many good things, but unfortunately, she taught me to be afraid of what in later years I called the big what if. There was never really anything tangible to be afraid of. But when you are a single mother with no job, no education, no income, and an abandoned husband, the world can be a pretty scary place. So even though as a young child, I didn't know what she was afraid of, she transmitted an atmosphere of fear to me. So my big brands growing up as a very young child were shame and fear. And as the years went by, I structured my life so that the things about which I felt shame, I did my best to hide. And so lying became evident as a flesh pattern for me. Exaggeration to make, my, to make me seem more than I was, uh, that became a flesh pattern for me. And also extreme hard work so that I could have an education. And so I would never be poor the way we were. So those were my messages growing up. And as I went to high school and went off to university and went on eventually to, to earn a PhD, uh, those patterns were driving me in the back of my mind always. Hmm. Well, that's, that's hard, John, you know, because a little kid, uh, we believe, as we understand the Bible, that the number one need of a little child is security. And security comes from belonging. And it doesn't sound like you really got to experience either of those things. Um, how did that affect you growing up uh, relationally? Were you able to, to build intimate friendships? Or, or you mentioned that you, you hid uh, or was hiding and being alone more the, the pattern of your life and in, in maybe in terms of a self-protection. Well, that's a very interesting question, my friend. Probably the biggest thing that I see was that I did not know how to relate to a mature man. 
Hmm. I had no father figure in my life. So my mother basically was everything for me. And she was Sicilian and she came from a very large family of eight girls. So I got to see the dynamics of all of those families. And there wasn't a very strong father figure in those families either. So basically I grew up with no glimpse at all of what a father truly was. Hmm. And so as we were getting older and started going on dates, um, I never brought any girl home to meet my mother. Seemed kind of silly. I met girls' fathers, but I never brought them home to meet my mother. Uh, and so it was, a, it was a constant void in my life. And it's interesting, looking forward, when I became a Christian some years later, it took a lot of God working in me before I, very, before I can really begin to understand what God the Father was really like. And if I can, let me jump ahead for a moment and, and share where that experience occurred and how it occurred. Hmm. At that point, I was married, had been married for many years. I had five children. I was an elder at a church and I still had a very great barrier in my understanding. I didn't know it, hmm. but a great barrier in my understanding between me and my father, God. So one day we were uh, on a family vacation up in the Smokies and we were renting this big house and I got the stomach ache of all stomach aches. And so it was so painful that I just went into the bedroom and I just laid down. And this thought came into my mind and I'm, it still brings tears to my eyes. This thought came into my mind what would your little boy do if he had a bellyache like you? And I thought back at that thought, well, that's easy. He'd run to me and say, daddy, my belly hurts, makes it feel better. And so the thought said back to me, why don't you try that? And so for the first time in my life, I said, daddy, my belly hurts. Mm. Please make it feel better. And Frank, instantly, I mean, as absolutely instantly as anything can be, that pain went away. And I got the first glimpse ever of my father who loved me and cared about me. Mm. Boy, John, you know, I, I can hear in your voice a dynamic, um, the pain of not knowing a father for all the years, but the wonder of finding a father after all those years. And I hear both in Yes, you. yes, sir, you do. And for a long time after that, I would call him daddy. Hmm. Now I know that he is the creator of the universe. He holds everything together, but he condescended to being my daddy at that point. Hmm. He came down to where I was. And so for a lot of years, I always thought of him as the dad I never had. 
Mm. Now, as the years have gone by, I've come to, come to understand him more as a loving, wise father who not only is my daddy, mm. but he is everything else that scripture says he is. And so now my most common way of referring to him is, sir, mm. dear sir, lover of my heart, I come to you now because I just want to hang with you because you know me better than I know myself. Mm. So that's how my knowledge of my father has, has matured over the years. And it took a lot less time to go from a crying bellyache on a bed to where I am now that it took to go from birth to that crying bellyache on the bed. He has wow. healed me much more quickly than the wound took the time to fester. Boy, that's that so sense. exciting. It is. It's so exciting to hear you use that vocabulary because as you're sharing that, my own heart and mind have scripture verses pouring in. Like he will restore the years that the locusts have yes. eaten, that he will give you back a double portion of what you've lost. And you just said it took much less time. So, you know, there's our father. I, I love Isaiah 61 too, you know, that he'll give a, a garland of praise instead of the mourning and the grief and he binds up the brokenhearted and you know john it's just such a wonderful thing to hear you share that because uh, you know there's so many people out there that i think share your same journey and they're wondering is that same father out there for me and because of the scripture, we would answer affirmatively. Absolutely. He is. If you would just be quiet and take the time to listen, because the daddy who healed my belly wants to do the very same intimate healing for mm. you. Yeah, I think of that scripture that in the old book, and, you know, there's a thought, you know, a lot of us New Covenant people, we really neglect the old book and that's oh, yes. to our detriment. But in the old book, it says he will be a father to the fatherless. That's right. That's wonderful. That's well, John, right. you mentioned as I was listening to you that you said this was later, married, five children. So it kind of says to me, and you can correct me if you need to, that you had become a Christian, but the concept of fatherhood maybe took a little longer. So maybe what you could do is, why don't you share how you came to faith and what were the circumstances that the Holy Spirit used to bring you to faith? Hmm. I was raised in the Roman Catholic Church, as you. And so I had a lot of knowledge built into me. None of it made any sense. And I remember the very first time that I got a glimpse that God was more than just my religious upbringing. When on a Saturday afternoon, a bunch of friends and I were playing baseball and we went to Saturday afternoon confession, which we did. And we were sitting there waiting our turn and it was a long line. And the thought struck me at that time that I don't need, I shouldn't need to tell my sins to a man 
I can tell my sins right to God. And so hmm. I sat there in the pew and I confessed my sins as a fifth grade boy, whatever his sins happened to be. And then to give myself, to, to make sure I didn't miss anything, I gave myself the, the worst penance I could think of. 10 Our Fathers, 10 Hail Marys, and 10 Acts of Contrition. Man, I went around half of the rosary. And then I walked out. And all my friends were saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? But it was, it was that first glimpse that God was more than just my religious upbringing. And that's basically where I stood for a lot of years. Hmm. Went through high school, went to college, and I was a senior at the University of Maine when someone gave me a copy of the late great planet Earth. Oh my goodness. You remember that book, don't <laughs> yes, you? Yes, sir. Uh, I was scared a lot of people into the kingdom. <laughs> I, had, I had a friend with whom uh, we played guitar in coffee houses. And she became a Christian. I didn't know that. So she brought me a box of molasses cookies and a copy of the late great planet Earth and a little tiny Gideon's New Testament. So I took it kindly, went home over Thanksgiving and read it and prayed this profound prayer. Okay, God, if you're real, prove it. <laughs> Boy, what a cocky little cuss I was. And you know, he took me up on it because just, just a week later, I'm back at university from Thanksgiving break and I get this nudge to go to the university library. So I go to the library and I find a Bible and I read the book of Revelation and everything I read in there matched what the late great planet Earth told me. And I was scared to death. Mm. So I was drawn to go to Christmas Eve service and I was sitting there at this church on Christmas Eve service, and I looked up at the manger scene, and all of a sudden, lights flashed in my head, and the thought came in, wow, it is real. Mm. It is real. So somewhere between that Thanksgiving, reading that book, The Late Great Planet Earth, and that Christmas Eve service, somewhere, somehow, I trusted Jesus. And it wasn't some big fancy prayer. It was simply, as I said, if you're real, prove it to me. So, mm -hmm. that's, uh, so that's how I became a Christian as a senior at university. Uh, while I became saved at that point, many of my behaviors did not change. And those are things about which I was not and still remain not very proud. But I graduated from the university and went to a second university to pursue an advanced degree. And there I met the lady in a Bible study who would become my wife. Mm. And so that's how I became a Christian. So you mentioned that some behaviors didn't change. I, I kind of have to believe that some did sort of as a verification that it was true. How did your conversion, i.e. your putting faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior impact your life? Well, the change was noticeable quickly among mm -hmm. the people with whom I had, I had hung out. I would wake up of a Sunday morning and say, wow, I should go to church. So, of course, the first place I went was the Catholic Church. And 
it didn't seem like what I was hearing uh, in my head as to what Christianity was. So I didn't go back to the Roman church. I went to uh, a different church and it was actually a CMA church, Christian Missionary Alliance. I started going there and started hearing them a message of Jesus that really resonated with me. Hmm. I stopped doing some of the behaviors that I was doing. I stopped going to some of the places that I was going. And I started seeking out other people in my classes who I knew were Christians because of some of the things they said. And I said, hey, I become a Christian too. Are there any Bible studies here on campus I can go to? So that's how my Christian walk began. Just with a few changes, a few behavior tweaks, and some seeking out some people whom I had previously ignored to a great hmm. degree. You know, as I listened to you, a psalm popped into my head, and it's Psalm 34, where the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Uh, that's listening to you that kind of describes it. You know, you got a taste of God, and it sounds like you wanted more. You had a, a hunger. Oh, indeed. I remember uh, very clearly during that first semester, which is my last semester at the University of Maine, walking down the street in the town, cold, snow up to my eyeballs, and seeing a sign in the storefront that said, Christian Science Reading Room. Hmm. I said, oh, I'm a Christian and I'm a science major. <laughs> this must be for me. So I walked in and I chatted with some of the ladies there. They gave me some materials. Something didn't feel right. So I went back to my apartment that night, started reading the materials. And again, in the back of my mind, something is not right. So I took them all and I threw them in the trash. So that's really my first miracle where the Holy Spirit showed up and miraculously began to tell me that this is not correct. Don't go there, son. Stick with what wow. you are learning to be true. Wow. You know, he, he talks about the fact that in his word that his word is a lamp unto our feet, but also the promise that his Holy Spirit will open our eyes and teach us from John 14. He'll teach us all things. And boy, it sounds like he was really being faithful to you in those ear, early formative years where you could have been led down a path that would not have been one that would have led to freedom. So. No, you are right. In fact, not long after that little incident, I ran into some of these people who were Christians and with whom I was beginning to develop friendships. And I made the comment in passing, oh, I stopped into the Christian science reading room and their eyes got as big as saucers. And they said, oh no, John, you don't want to go in there. And here's why. And before they started, I said, yes, I already know. God told me that this is not right. So I pitched all that material in the trash. Wow. So they, I remember now, in fact, I haven't thought about this for decades. I remember how excited and rejoicing they were. And 
the reason for their rejoicing just sort of went right over my head. I didn't understand it. But in retrospect, I say, wow, you know, Father put a hedge around me. Mm. He protected me even when I was really pretty young and naive. Mm. You know, one of the attributes that Father reveals in his word about his character is that he is faithful. Oh, indeed. And boy, he, he sounds like he was really faithful to you. Well, let me ask you one more question for today as our time continues to run away from us. So you found Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you finished up college, got married, had children, and obviously uh, became a part of a local church where you likely pursued the standard uh, path that a believer in the world would pursue today. You sought to gain knowledge from the scripture and years of maturity, uh, quote unquote. Uh, during that time, over those next several years, how would you describe your walk of faith uh, before having your eyes open to the new covenant. Hmm. Well, our listeners don't know much about me, but I'll give them a bit of a glimpse. I am an academician by training. Now, you I might need to define that for my simple. Academician, <laughs> yes, I know. Which means I have a bachelor's, master's, PhD degree, and it was there. All those were in hard sciences. So I used to like to pride myself on my intelligence. I no longer do that. But uh, God has gifted me with the brain. And so I approached scripture and systematic theology the same way I approached everything else. I bought every book I could find on scripture. I have my goodness, not as many as you do, Pastor Frank, in your library, but I've got a pretty healthy library and racks and racks of commentaries, and I think I've read them all. And so I became someone who believed that Christian maturity was most evident when you knew things about the Bible, when you can describe in detail all the pros and cons of all the different views of the millennium, for example. If you could argue the difference between infra and supralapsarianism, for example. Mm. And I took a large portion of my identity from the brain and the intelligence that I brought to my study of scripture. But in retrospect, there wasn't a whole lot of mercy and there was probably even less grace uh, in my relationship with other believers, my relationship with my friends, my family. And so basically I was a performer, uh, an academic performer. And so when we first met, I don't know when we'll get to this part of the story, but when we first met, that's, that's where I was at that mm -hmm. point. So I brought that strong flesh pattern uh, to my Christian life, because frankly, it had been what had gotten me success in the real world. My mm. ability to study and think and write and deduce. Uh, and so I brought that same set of tools to scripture. And I became someone who was knowledgeable 
but probably not very warm, loving, gracious, and merciful. You know, I, we've been friends a long time and we speak very honestly with each other. But when I hear that, maybe instead of but, I will say and when I hear that, it sounds like you could have been very intimidating to the average person you would come <laughs> in contact with. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, yes, I know I'm, I'm watching the clock now. We're getting close to the end. But I will close from my comments with a shirt that a dear friend of mine bought for me once. And Frank, I think you know this dear friend. I think you know him very, very, very well. This t-shirt had a picture of two brains, one on each side, one the size of a cantaloupe, one the size of a pea. And the writing on the t-shirt on the said, this is my brain, this is yours. Any questions? And yeah, that pretty much captures my fleshly approach to, to all aspects of relationship at that point in my life. Mm. You know, it's amazing, John, if I could tie your story into a knot today from where we began, you shared that you felt shame and you felt fear. And so you wore a mask and you hid because it wasn't safe. But then as you got older, you discovered this wonderful gift of a mind. And so you were going to know so that you wouldn't get caught off guard again. Oh, yes. But in a very real way, there was still a mask. Oh, absolutely. There um, was. And, and boy, I don't want to be my words twisted, we get in enough trouble here with what we say, let alone with people twisting what we say. But you, if I could put it this way and, and have you comment with a short thought, you found Jesus. He was your Lord and your Savior. And there was a lot of change, which was wonderful. But could I say to you, there wasn't the change that was the desire of your heart that God gave you to go deeply and intimately with others. Could I say that? Yes, you or can. Or could you clarify it? No, I think you can say that and you are probably right. I think that each one of us as we navigate through life develops what I like to call a toolbox, a certain set of tools that we use that have worked for us to make us feel accepted and powerful and wise. And we pull those out when the circumstances warrant and assume that they'll give us the same results they always have. And so that's how I faced uh, my faith, that I brought forward my mind uh, because I thought it would give me the same results uh, as it did in the university world where I worked as a professor. But you're right, all it did was basically give me a different mask, a more Barbie mask, a more affronting mask, because frankly, there are very few people who had my credentials. And so I could feel really special and unique mm. and better than others. 
And what I really failed to see at that time and what father so lovingly taught me not too much more into the future was that I already am wonderful and special and unique just because I am who I am in wow. his image. Wow. So I still have that brain. I still have those commentaries. I still use the commentaries on occasion, but basically I'm learning to say, father, let's talk about this. Let's think about this together. Isaiah one, let's reason together and, and see what we can make of this set of circumstances, sir. I trust you. I have the mind of Christ, which is better than the mind of John. What does the mind of Christ say about what we're facing right now? So that's probably the biggest change when it comes to my mental approach to any issue I might face. Wow. Well, at the risk of sounding blasphemous, it seems to me that finding him as Lord and Savior puts you on your way to heaven. But it fell short in many, many ways of transforming your life now into a powerful vessel of grace and mercy that we really needed to find God as your life. And so that's kind of what I'd like to explore next time, how you came to understand the new covenant and how that transformation has been affected in your life. So, John, I want to thank you for your honesty, your vulnerability, your heart sharing, your pain, your disappointment. I think today's podcast is going to resonate with so many people because even though so many are putting on that Sunday smile for everybody, uh, it's almost like that old song, There's the Tears of a Clown, inside there's a lot of hurt and sorrow. And for people to, to hear your story, that the hurt and the sorrow and the shame was not the end of the story, I believe is going to be a real encouragement to them. So thank you for sharing today. You have a final word? It's been a lot of fun. It's been, well, frankly, I didn't intend to cry, <laughs> but encounters with my father sometimes do that to me because I no longer have to be a professor with my father. I can just be his son. And that's enough. And that's enough. Well, my friends, thank you for joining us today. I hope you've been encouraged uh, to seek the father in your own special way and in your own unique journey. And I believe with all my heart that as you seek him, just as he promised you will find him. If this ministered to you, please hit that share button, share it with your friends and loved ones and magnify the power of story with the truth of the gospel as it's been demonstrated in John's life as he has shared. Also, I'd encourage you to join our website, our resolutehope.com and also our Facebook page, where you can sign up for our monthly newsletter and catch previous podcasts, lots of blogs, resources to help you in your own journey of faith. Until next time, my friends, remember, choose hope, choose Jesus. We'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.
Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, He offers you Himself, His own life. He wants to live His life with you, in you, and through you as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.